Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Get A Move On with Amy Slevin. My name's Jamie and as always I'm helping to co-host the podcast with the woman of the hour, Amy Slevin. Amy, how are you? (laughs) I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very much looking forward to talking about what we've got in store today, Mm -hmm. which is something called values. Now, I'm going to give a big fat caveat right at the start of the show, which when people hear values, they tend to hear things like honesty and trust and integrity because that's the colloquial use of the term. That's not what we're going to mean, though, is it? Indeed, it is not. We're basically using the word values to describe things that we think are important in our lives. So yeah, of course, that can be like honesty, integrity, kindness, all that rubbish. But it's the way we live our life according to what we enjoy the most and the things that we think are most important to us. Yeah, a way that I like putting it is it's the stuff you're into. Your values are the stuff you're into. Another thing that drive lots of our behavior, but I won't preempt anything. I'll just ask the mm-hmm. question very straightforwardly. Amy, to you, what are values? Values are simply put the set of priorities by which we live our lives. So can any two of us have the same values? No, they are fingerprint unique to each and every one of us. Right. And when you say they're how we prioritize our life or they're the priorities by which we live our life, what do you mean? Okay, so for example, for me, I shall talk about myself for a second. Skill-based movement is a super important high value for me. Learning about human behavior is a super high value for me. Learning about pain, talking about pain, helping people with their pain and their injuries are all super high values for me. And understanding relationships and helping people to fulfill themselves and have good relationships and empowering myself, empowering other people are the things that are most important to me. Whereas, for example, having babies is not important to me. That is just not how I want to live my life. Yeah, and it's interesting because just then you said skill-based movement, Mm -hmm. which is quite a specific value, but then I guess values do tend to be quite specific because I'm just thinking about myself and my values. I enjoy having certain types of conversations, Mm -hmm. not all conversations. I enjoy going to certain types of nights out. I enjoy going to watch a certain type of football. And I imagine the thing that distinguishes me from someone who also likes nights out, football and conversation, but actually me and them have nothing in common, are the specific nature of those values. Exactly. And that's why it's really important and helpful for us to have absolute clarity and that kind of specificity of specifically exactly what it is that really drives us, what really floats your boat, what really kind of lights your fire and energizes you and the way that you love to spend your time, the things that you love to find time and energy for and money for, especially. And it's really interesting. So whenever someone says like, oh, I don't have time, I'm so busy, I don't have time or money for something. What they're basically saying is, this is not a high enough important value for me, that I don't want to spend my time and money doing it. Yeah, because by definition, they're doing something else. And you can say, well, that other thing is non-optional, it's compulsory. Like, I really do need to have a job or I really do need to look after my kids. And that's all true. But 
the fact is the job and the kids will be a value of sorts. Otherwise, you wouldn't be spending two thirds of your day doing them. You know, people quit their jobs and people, for better or for worse, abandon their kids. I mean, really. So I guess when people say they don't have time for something or they don't have energy for something, it's really just another way of saying, given my set of priorities, this thing isn't high enough on the list for me to shift something else to replace it. Yeah. And that can sometimes cause friction in relationships because we have, as previously discussed, <laughs> our own set of values. And a lot of the time we expect that other people should conform to what we can think is important. And when they don't, we think that they're wrong or bad or evil or whatever, because they're not conforming to what we think is important. And then the person who's not conforming gets irritated and pissed off and feels kind of resentful sometimes if what they consider important is kind of shat on in a way. So say for example, I say to you, hey, Jamie, come to a parkour class with me or come do flying trapeze with me. And you're like, no, 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 I don't want to do that because I'd rather play chess because that's what you dig. And I'm like, oh, God, why wouldn't you come to flying trapeze with me? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's so bad of you. Yeah, and I would say, well, I don't have time, right? And that would be true on one level. I don't have time because I've got this other thing that I'm doing that's more important to me. That's the subtext. Yeah. It's just worth saying here, like, there's lots of stuff I would drop. I mean, or rather, there's some stuff I would drop everything for. Like, if you said, Jamie, Magnus Carlsen, the world's best chess player, is down the road and wants to meet you and have a chess lesson. It's very difficult for me to imagine not doing that, regardless of what else I had planned. Which just goes to prove the point that, you know, there's always where there's a will, there's a way. And what's a high value is just another way of saying, well, there's a will. And the interesting thing is that your values emerge from your life. You don't go and have a think about, oh, well, like, what would I ideally like to do? There's actually no more information you need than what you're already doing. Precisely. And one of the things I take my clients through is before we start working, it really helps to figure out specifically or just to be aware of really specifically what drives them. And so, yeah, you're right. Like we tend not to go through life, you know, sitting down and being like, okay, so what is really important to me? Although it's really useful to do that every, I don't know, few months or so, just to check in and be like, okay, well, is this thing that I thought was important, really that important to me? Yeah. And the way that you know, is you look at your life. So if I stopped playing chess or you stopped moving, well, the fact that you stopped moving is evidence that it's less of a value because the point is that your values drive your behavior. And in some meaningful way, you're like a fulfillment seeking machine and you're going to go do the thing constantly that's a high value. And even more to the point, you turn activities that aren't strictly your value into something that fulfills your value. So I used to go to Imperial College and just turn that into a big chat. I wouldn't go to the lectures and primarily see them as a learning event as much as I would see them as a social event. Because in any given context, you're like, okay, well, how can I get out the thing that I care about the most? Or that is the highest priority. Precisely. When you were saying that, I was thinking about a friend of mine who's a yoga teacher who called me a few months ago and she was like, oh, she was really beating herself up because she's like, God, like I just can't be bothered to do yoga anymore. She's like, I think I'm a shit teacher because I'm not doing yoga. I'd rather go for a dip in the lake and swim in nature and go for a run than do yoga. And I'm like, that's fine. If that's what you're into, just let yourself be into that. Oh, no, no, she wasn't running, but she was like, she was wanting to run and expecting herself to run. But actually, she wasn't really enjoying it so much. And it's just like, well, let yourself not enjoy it. Well, that's the other key point about values. I think it's important to bring up, which is you're never going to do anything sustainably if it's not a value for you. So 
it's the classic. It's the 31st of December. You go out and you think, oh, I'm having a bit of a rubbish night, but it's fine because things are going to change. I'm going to make some resolutions. And then these resolutions look something like, I will do 10 push-ups every day and I shall journal and I shall meditate. And you might be able to do it for, let's be incredibly generous, two weeks, a month. But there's an inevitability about your failure because it's not important to you. And I guess this dynamic emerges of, to the degree it's not important to you, is the exact degree to which you need external motivation. Like, no one needs to motivate you to go do movementy stuff. No one's there going, Jamie, time to get yourself ready to play chess. Like, I'll just do it spontaneously. It doesn't require any external sources of anything. And when people are really great at stuff, like, you know, top, top professionals, it's clearly just because, like, they just want to be chronically doing it. I remember Cristiano Ronaldo, the footballer who's very well known for being hardworking, said that he used to sneak out of his cabin at Sporting Lisbon, his Portuguese club, when he was 13, to do calisthenics in the field. He would like sneak past the coaches and miss the curfew because he just so wanted to do the exercise. And like, that's such an extreme form of a high value. But the point is, there's no way you're ever going to match him if you don't care. No amount of resolution or anything else. Exactly. But if you are expecting yourself to do that, then you're going to beat yourself up for not doing it because you're thinking that like what that person considers important is what you should consider important. And that is also something that kind of creates a little bit of friction in ourselves when we think that we should want to do something because our parents think it's important or because our friends think it's important. But the whole point of this whole thing is like we're truly trying to honour who we are and be true to who we are rather than subordinate to other people. Yeah, what's the classic fucking example? It's Billy Elliot, right? Mm -hmm. Billy Elliot's the dancer and he loved to dance, but he grew up in late 70s, early 80s, Britain, minor strike, dad a minor, very classic masculine atmosphere where there was this big perception of solidarity, masculine, mining, goods, dancing, implications of homosexuality, expression, emotion, bad. So you have Billy, who's quite clearly wanting to do the dancing because he's overcoming a fair amount of adversity to do it. But also you have this force going, don't do that thing. And it's very easy. And I think we all have experiences of this, to be honest, of wanting to do something, but some combination of social, societal, familial, whatever factors making us just quiet down about it a little bit or not quite do it. And that's the challenge because like, you know, your parents are going to have an opinion and society's going to have an opinion. Yeah, exactly. But it's when you don't give a fuck about anybody else's opinion and you're just living your best life. You're kind of being congruent with what's most important to you. And I'm just going to say also about video games, which are a really good example. And this was you when you were younger playing FIFA constantly kind of stereotypical example of like a young kid who just loves video games and the video games is a really high value thing to them and they'll seek challenges like when they get to the end of a particular level they want to get to the next level because it's harder because it's more difficult because the challenge is fun and meaningful for them and (laughs) there is a story and I wish I knew the names of the people but there was a guy in a trailer park in America whose mum was constantly being like oh you have to go to school you have to go to school you have to get your education and then get a good job or whatever and he was like not inspired by school at all but he stayed at home all day and played these video games and then he entered a competition and guess what he won millions of dollars so if he had listened to his mother and tolerated school 
because that's what you should do. He would have gone to school and probably ended up doing some shit job that he hated for very little money. But instead, he was doing what was truly important to him, what he truly loved doing, taking himself through the challenges, through the adversity, all of that kind of stuff to then go into the competition and win millions. Yeah, and I love the point about adversity, because when something's a high value for you, you spontaneously seek out challenge. You know, you constantly want to level up, you want to improve and you see obstacles as kind of exciting. Whereas like, if it's a low value, you go, oh, this is exhausting. I have no idea how anyone can ever overcome this thing. And you just lose your like capableness, you know? Yeah. Like when you have a game, a video game that you're into with levels, you know, it's going to get harder, but you want it to get harder. Mm. As you say, it's fun. Whereas just to bring it back to Imperial for a second, I would be doing like this accounting module which for me is just so not my thing. And I'd run into a problem where I wouldn't understand or the software wouldn't like what I was inputting. And rather than that being like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I wonder where I can improve. It was like, oh, this is just, I have no idea how anyone overcomes this. And there's a real big point here about the higher the value of the thing, the more spontaneously you seek out challenge, difficulty, and you're happy to take those relative lows with the highs. Whereas when something's a low value, like you're only in it if it's mm -hmm. amazing. The only way I would have done accounting is if it was easy and rewarding and I got credit for it. And instant gratification. Yeah, it's a good point, right? Like the higher the value, the more the happier you are to delay gratification. Yeah, because the gratification is in the process of the doing. Say, for example, in the work that I'm doing, like, working with someone obviously has its challenge like we get stuck sometimes you know I might ask them a question they'll be like oh god I don't know the answer but I'm there in the moment being like oh my god like you know this is really fun and interesting for me a lot of people will be bored senseless but even in those moments of difficulty where I'm like oh my god okay so what question do I need to ask this person in order to get them to the next stage even that is kind of fun for me and then the reward whether it takes 20 minutes or 10 sessions, six months. It's all kind of like juicy and fun and rewarding for me. And it's worth saying here, like everyone has a hierarchy of values, things they're interested in and not interested in. And in some ways the game is like, well, how do I do more of the stuff I like doing? Because of course you want to do stuff you like doing. And the difficulty with values is often your values end up being something that like feel quite stupid or not something that you could make viable or embarrassing. And you're having to reconcile what you secretly like doing. I mean, I don't know, like, I think Billy Elliot's such a good example, right? Because mm. he was a dancer and it was so obviously offensive to everyone. Existentially offensive. Offensive. <laughs> I like that. But yeah, and I hear what you're saying. And I think also it often happens if we're comparing ourselves to other people and we're expecting ourselves to conform to what other people think is important. And I think in a way, we're so lucky in the day and age in which we're living, we have a, so much more freedom to choose what is genuinely interesting and important to us. Whereas I don't feel like maybe 100, even maybe probably 50, 60 years ago, I don't feel that people had the same freedom to really honour who they were and to really honour the stuff that was really important to them. In a way, that's why there are so many families where dad's a lawyer therefore the son's going to be a lawyer, therefore his son's going to be a lawyer, therefore we're all in the same thing, whether or not we like it, and we're just sort of pushing through. Yeah, there's this quote about how institutions are all in the shadow of one person. The domineering figure at the start of the institution, kind of their shadow and their value system and their priorities cast their themselves over institutions potentially for hundreds of years. 
And families are a much more direct example of the same mechanic. I mean, I have a friend whose grandma has a particular priority system about what counts as successful. And their mum has kind of, it's a maternal grandma, taken that on in a very meaningful way. And now the mum's daughter is suffering for the fact that like she's being pressured to do something she doesn't want to do, despite the fact the grandma's been 10 years dead. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous, but it's human behaviour, right? Like it makes sense to me. Like in the 1970s, someone thought something and now that's influencing the everyday experience of her granddaughter 60 years later. That reminds me of a meme I saw. <laughs> there was basically something about like, tradition is basically subordination to dead people. <laughs> yeah, although, do you know what the other side of that is? I like, I've gone full circle on this because that is definitely true. And I think the example of institutions or religions quite often do serve as an example of tradition just being like, well, it's the way it was. And it's the one where like, if you go back, everyone's kind of got this vague sense that this is the way it is. But if you asked everyone why, they wouldn't quite know where to point apart from at each other. And it becomes a circular loop with no like external accreditation. Yoga is a lot like that. <laughs> when I was on my one teacher training once, oh. I would often ask the question about why do we do this particular thing in this particular way? Or why does this pose follow this pose in the sequence or whatever? I had a few why questions. And the answers generally were because this is how the person's guru said you should do it. And I was like, that is not an answer. Is no one critically thinking? Yeah, it's interesting because the irony is like the way the guru became the guru to get an opinion is by fucking off the previous opinions. Or just imposing, like if sometimes if you say anything with enough authority, people believe it. But that's what I mean, right? So like the way that they got yeah. to the position of authority was by having enough internal certainty that their thing was the right thing. The irony, of course, being is then you produce people who don't have internal certainty and you want to be like the guru, the quickest way to be the guru is to tell the guru to fuck off. There's a thing that the Buddha said. I mean, he said lots of things that sound the opposite too. So let's not take this too much to heart. <laughs> but if you see me on the path, kill me. Right? Because know. there's this idea of like, the only reason I'm such a big dog is because I did my own thing. If you really want to be like me, do your own thing. Now, there's also a lot of very strict dogma saying do exactly what I say. So I don't want to confuse the nature of Buddhism. <laughs> but there is an irony about that. And like, the truth is, if you think about anyone... I mean, this is the irony of cool, right? Like if you go back to school, the cool kids that everyone wanted to be like were just the kids who were basically like, nah, you guys all suck. I'm doing my own thing. And then we all sort of go, we need to do their thing, not clocking that like the thing that made them cool initially was exactly their lack of subordination. Exactly. And the ones that kind of, yeah, just had enough internal certainty of what they're into and, and also not giving a fuck about the opinions of other people. Yeah. And it's funny, like, almost everything flies with enough internal certainty. I was talking to a friend the other night. There's someone that I know relatively well, but not nearly as well as this conversation would imply. And they were being like, yeah, you know, like things have been okay, but this has happened. And were giving me like gory details of their sexual fantasies and what they were into. And it was stuff that you would not necessarily map to them. You wouldn't necessarily think like that's something they're into. And it's also something you might potentially like raise an eyebrow at, right? Mm -hmm. But they delivered it with such certainty. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, yeah, yeah, like, obviously. But the details of it, like, just were so, like, far from what one might expect from anyone, let alone them. But the fact that they delivered it with a little bit of confidence and certainty, I heard it and was like, oh, but of course, like, yes, me as well, you know? <laughs> me too. <laughs> the point being, 
like anything delivered with certainty and internal confidence runs. And more than running, people like are so attracted to it. That's how these gurus become gurus. They just have a sense that they know what the fuck they're doing, which is why so many gurus end up being slightly narcissistic God complexes. And that stuff all runs alongside because of course it does. The real point being, if you own your values and really like are into the thing you're into and find a way, and we should talk about the mechanics of how, but find a way to internally and really not have that much time for what other people think about what you're into. So that's Billy Elliot going middle finger to his dad, say. Yeah. Really then, don't just find yourself being accepted in lots of cases, but people actively looking at you and going, well, fair enough. Like you're really doing your thing. Exactly. I wanted to say something about when our values are challenged. So when something or someone comes along and limits our capability or our access to do the thing that we love to do and that understandably makes us pretty pissed off and sometimes having that sense of irritation about not being able to do something is a really kind of useful feedback that this is an important thing to us and I think I didn't really ever want to talk about COVID on this but I'm going to now because I think one thing, one way in which COVID has been a real eye-opener for so many people is that because we couldn't go to work and do the stuff that we were doing before, I think shone such a spotlight on what we really think is important and what we don't. And the way that we live our lives now going forward probably is going to be quite different. Yeah, like it shakes you out of your routine in some way because it's very easy to sleepwalk into your life and just be like, oh, well, I do this job because I do this job. And I hang out with these people because I hang out with these people. But then as soon as that all stops, you go, okay, like I'm left with nothing but my priorities. And I can't have a rhythm or a habit to like muddy the water as to what it is I actually like or I just do because I do. Yeah. And I have a slight confession, actually. So when I had inklings that lockdown was coming, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. This means I'm going to get a break from doing all of the stuff that I don't really love doing. Oh! And for me, that was like, it feels a bit weird to say this out loud, but like, I'm not going to have to run around London going to classes and teaching classes in places that kind of feel a bit crap. <laughs> and again, like, oh, it's so weird for me to say this, but it's true. There were classes that I just was not enjoying teaching, but I felt like I had to keep going because for whatever reason, I felt like they were serving a higher purpose. I was just not enjoying going to them. But the point is, if you hadn't had lockdown, you just kept on doing them because you were doing them. Exactly. Lockdown gave me the opportunity to literally take months away from those classes and then reconsider, do I want to go back to them? And I think this is not just me. This is a lot of people. Like, do we want to go back to the office? Do we want to go back to doing certain things that we were doing before? And the answer was no. And so I gave up a bunch of classes. I kept the ones that I really wanted to keep. It really was like such a gift for me and so many people just to kind of realize, whoa, okay, this is how I want to work. This is how I want to socialize. I'm happy to socialize with these people, but not these people. And it's funny how like it gave us such a kind of like, almost like an excuse to be like, oh, no, no, I can't attend this event. Yeah, the point is it takes emotional energy to stop doing something actively. It's like, you know, with organ donation, like no one opts in because it's a ball like to opt in. It's an active step you need to take to do something. Whereas once it stops and it's an equal amount of energy to restart it or not restart it, 
Well, now like the energy requirement is that variable's disappeared. So you're only left with like, how much do I give a shit? Yeah. And I think for so many people, COVID has just allowed us to really sit down and think about what we do and don't want to do, what, how we really do and don't want to spend our time. Yeah. There's a point here to be made as well. Cause like, there's a thing about the veganism movement that it's like just massively fucking elitist. And the reason it's elitist is because, well, you can afford, financially afford, and also like mental space afford to give a shit about the environment and animal rights. And these are fairly lofty concerns. You know, you have no idea what it's like to just food on the table, get through it, eat, etc. And I think there's a danger when we talk about values that the whole like, do what you love, man, sounds a little bit like that. Because people have serious financial responsibility. I mean, we all have serious financial responsibilities and commitments to those around us. It's worth sort of just saying here, like, go do what you like is less of a one-step instruction available to everyone at all times and more of a headspace to where you're trying to get to within the constraints of how you live. Yeah, and also there is within that a sense of service to other people. Like so much of our purpose in life is derived from how we interact with and how we help other people in a way when we get old we don't have a job per se so we don't have a society or kind of specific people that we're actively engaging with helping and I think there's a tremendous kind of loss of purpose when we get to a certain age once we've retired once we don't have those people to serve and the reason I'm saying this is because I've just been with an older person before we started recording, who has a real sense of purposelessness because he's kind of got to an age and he doesn't really know what he's doing with himself. He knows what he likes to do, but like he just feels a sense of futility and uselessness. Yeah. And this is why like communities, especially Mediterranean communities where everyone lives together generationally, there's a community because the point about community is that it gives you something to do and it gives you a dynamic with which to interact. And it's why places that have great community tend to have a lot of respect for older people because it's very obvious to them that older people are serving in the ways that they're serving and it's why you know like towns that do things like have communal plant pots that everyone needs to water gives people projects and a chance for interaction and serving in those micro ways i love that that's so yeah that's cool. a big thing i want that yeah it's a big thing and like it's also why doing something as silly as like sudoku or crosswords or whatever it's not a purpose in the way we usually mean purpose, but it gives you a micro purpose. And it's not in service of anything greater than you, but it's still nonetheless something outside of you. The interesting point here is that you want to serve according to your values. I mean, like, so you want to give people the ability to move functionally, get past their pain, grow, because that's your high values. You're not interested in addressing the issue of educational inequality. Like that's just not on your radar as like the single most important issue to address, right? Didn't even know that was the thing. Okay, there you go, right? Whereas there's lots of people who their entire purpose is educational inequality is the point that we need to address. And the reason will be their values are more aligned. So it's just an interesting note around serving that actually you want to serve in the ways that your values project. Right, in the ways it's meaningful for you. Yeah, and you know, we show love through our values, right? So like love languages is a thing that people know about. And I like values. <laughs> I like values as a version of love languages. For instance, cooking, I can't cook really. I have like three dishes and two of them are pesto pasta. Can I just say, as cooking is one of my high values. It's not like the top, top, obviously, otherwise I'd be a chef, but it's one of my high values. And so I would therefore want to impose that upon you and be like, well, let me teach you a few recipes. 
But you also might want to, as a form of love, be like, oh, let me cook for you, or I'll show you how to cook so you can do it yourself, because that's such a fun thing. Whereas to me, it would never occur to me as a form of love language to cook. Because even though I appreciate academically the people that are into it, just because it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that, because I totally did that with my boyfriend, who didn't know how to cook when he first met me. I mean, he kind of sort of did, but not that much. And I was like, you have to be able to feed yourself. Like, it's just a basic life skill. And he was like, I kind of don't really give a shit. I'm happy for other people to cook for me. And I was like, I didn't understand it at that time, how he could not want to do it. Say he felt very unloved, right? And he didn't perceive, because you hadn't had the conversation, that the cooking and the teaching was a form of love. He might go there and be like, well, Amy didn't make time for me in this other very specific way. Totally missing the fact that you were already doing the thing, you were already being loving. But because it wasn't in his values, it was in yours. The fact that it was a loving act was kind of missed. Totally. And more than it was missed, it was perceived as a criticism. And I am not good enough because I am not able to conform to your particular value on this specific thing. And an imposition of your values. Totally. I was at the time completely oblivious to the fact that that's what I was doing. I was just like, this is just, everybody needs to do this. I don't understand the problem. Yeah, I had a flatmate a couple of years ago have a pop at me for like not doing the dishes like in the most efficient way. You know, we didn't have a dishwasher. And I sort of said, what's the problem? Like, it's being done. I'm enjoying myself here. And the answer was like, oh, shit. Well, I guess I just like have it down in my head as a thing that it's important to do these things properly, properly being the most thoroughly. And that was like a value for them. To, it was a sustainability thing. It was like a look after yourself. It was like a primal thing to like sort your shit out. And you know, speaking of like about that kind of thing, like another really high value for me is having a beautiful home with kind of fun, beautiful, gorgeous stuff in it. However, what's not a high value is keeping it clean and tidy. And I think this is a really important thing to note, right? One of the stuff that you love to do, the challenges that inspire you and that stuff, the stuff that you don't love doing, just delegate, right? Which is why, for example, my boyfriend, when it came to the cooking thing, he was like, cooking is not a thing for me. Food is not even a thing for me. I'm happy to delegate the thing that I don't love to do to me because I love to do it. And he's like, what's the problem? You love doing it. I hate doing it. Why can't I just leave it all to you? And he's totally right. Because the point is the things you don't get a kick out of, there's someone else who will live and breathe it. And you just can't compete. Exactly. You're in a different paradigm. It's like, I play chess probably every day for like, say half an hour, 45 minutes online which is a lot, but there are people who do it for nine hours a day, professionals, right? That's all they do. And I, I'm i not in the game of competing with them because what they live and breathe for me is kind of like a passing hobby. And when it gets really difficult, I think, fuck this. And I can't really sit there and analyze my games because I get bored. You know, it's a high value for me because I do it every day, but it's a low value relative to the fact that like when it gets difficult and positional and like overly calculating, I think, I can't be doing this. I'll do something else. You know, if you wanted someone to go do your calculating for you. You would do it to someone who really loved it, someone who played for nine hours. You would never give it to me. Very interesting that you say that because I've been planning a retreat over the last few weeks. I'm really crap at maths and I don't enjoy it. And I'm like, I'm quite okay with the fact, sort of, that I'm rubbish at it and that I don't enjoy it. And so what did I do? I phoned my friend who loves maths. I'm like, Jenny, I've got this problem budget please can I send it to you and she's like yeah send it to me I'll have a look done everybody wins well this is our sister this is Susanna 
she's so good at organizing and so loves it and is efficient and has options. And by the way, you could do this and that and this and that. And it's like, let's just give all the organizing and student loans to Susanna, but she'll do it better. So the nice thing about delegating is it gets done better and you don't have to do the bits you don't like. And that person also, it gets a kick out of doing it. But you know, it's also quite interesting in terms of like education. So for example, for like a school teacher, and I've, I've been thinking about this so much recently because when I was at school, I found it really difficult to understand physics concepts. I always kind of felt, it was just like, this is pointless. I don't understand how this is relevant to life. Even though I had a fun teacher, Mr. Jacobs, who was awesome. And he was like, you know, a hilarious kind of weird guy. But since I've been doing more movement as a kind of more grown up person and yoga and flying trapeze, especially, there's so much stuff about levers that I never understood at the time and moments and pendulums and all sorts of shit that I didn't understand at the time because of the way that it was described to me. But if it had been taught to me in the concept of movement, then I would have been like, oh, okay. Exactly, because all of a sudden it's fulfilling a priority that you care about. Anyway, listen, Ames, I think that's a great place to leave it. Cool. I think that was a fun little rundown of values with a couple of quite colourful examples thrown in. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Get to Move On with Amy Slavin. I hope you really enjoy your week and we'll see you next time. Thanks. That was Get to Move On with Amy Slevin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.